In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start today again with a little bit of interaction uh, from you. So I'm going to ask you a question. And today, you don't need to be polite. You don't need to wait your turn. You don't need to raise your hand. I just want you to, to shout out your answers. And uh, the question I have for you is, who are some of the people in your family? And I'm talking about names. Just shout out some names. Who are some of the people that you consider to be a part of your family? Go. Becky and Bob All right, all right, that's good. That, we can work with this. We can work with this. This is perfect. Thank you. Uh, we got a, a lot of answers there. Uh, that makes me think, I, I have a follow-up question. This one, you can be a little bit more polite. You can uh, be orderly and raise your hand. Uh, raise your hand if any of the, the names that you just said or any of the names that you thought in your mind, uh, raise your hand if any of those names were not related to you by blood. Anyone? Okay, a few, right? Uh, it brings up an interesting question, probably one we've all thought about, and, and that is, what, what makes a family a family? Or, or maybe said differently, who is a part of our family? Is, is our family just the people that are related to us by blood that we share the same genetic uh, DNA makeup with? Or, or maybe that term family is more inclusive than that. Uh, what makes a family a family? Do you ever think about that? Uh, well, that's actually one of the, the questions that would have been on the, the hearts and minds of many Jewish people in the first century world. In, in the time and in the place when Jesus was living and teaching and, and walking on this earth, uh, that was one of the major questions kind of hanging out in the background of many people's minds. Just as there are, are many kind of big life questions today that, that we think about in our culture and uh, if you remember, a few months ago, we went through that Explore God series in our Bible studies that took a look at some of the major questions people are wondering about today. Uh, but, but in that time, in, in, in that place, in first century Judea, one of the major questions going around was, was who's in the family? Or, or maybe said differently, what makes a Jew a Jew? Uh, it, it was something they were thinking about, and, and yet you probably know that uh, they had found the answer. It wasn't quite definitive, but it was pretty well set in stone. And, and the answer to the question, who's in the family or what makes uh, a Jew or Jew, was, was two things, right? It was, it was blood and obedience. So could you check those boxes? Did, did you have the right blood? Could you, could you look back in your lineage and, and connected to Abraham? Who was your father and, and your father's father? Did you have the right blood was, was one part. And the second part was, had you obeyed? Were you walking in the commands of the Lord that he sent down and wrote on the tablet of stone? Uh, walking in the traditions of the elders? Did you have the right blood and had you obeyed it? And if you had, you, you were part of the family. That was the assumption many people had. And, and we know in our reading for today that we heard, that, that long reading from the book of Acts, that that seems to be the assumption that the Apostle Peter is working under. Uh, after all, he was most likely born and, and raised a Jew himself. He had the right blood. He had done his best to obey and, and to follow the commands. And to him, that's what it meant to be a part of, of the family. And yet God comes along today, and, and as we heard, he, he changes things. Uh, at, at the very least, he changes Peter's mind. And you probably remember how it went, right? If, if you were following along in, in our story, and if you want to turn there now, it's on page four in your bulletin. Peter, he has this wild and crazy dream, doesn't he? Uh, it, it doesn't quite make sense, at, at least at first glance. And if you were confused by it, that's okay, because so was I. Uh, but in the story, there's this sheet that is let down from heaven, right? Peter has gone to pray on top of a roof. It's kind of late in the afternoon, three o'clock, and 
And he has a dream there, a vision that God sends him where there is a sheet that is let down from heaven. And on this sheet, if you can remember, there were all sorts of animals. Presumably some of them were clean animals, God, uh, animals that God allowed the Jewish people to eat. But there were also unclean animals like shellfish and, and pigs, animals that were unclean and, and would have made him unclean to eat. And, and so the sheet comes down with all of these animals, clean and unclean, and, and, and then a voice comes down with the sheet, and it's the voice of God, and it says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Uh, now, now, Peter, being a a good Jewish man, uh, being a part of the family and wanting to stay a part of that family, right? He wants nothing to do with this. He, he tells himself and he tells God he's not going to disobey the direct command of the Lord. He will not eat these unclean animals. He will remain pure. He will obey. And, and yet God is insistent. And, and this is what God says. Maybe you remember these words. God says to him, Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, those words might seem a little cryptic, but it it becomes really obvious by the end of the story. After the vision and and after Peter has met this man, the Roman soldier named Cornelius, and after he's kind of pondered it for a while, it becomes clear to Peter what God is saying through this dream and, and through those words when he says, do not call anything impure that God is made clean. You see, Peter realizes that God isn't just talking uh, about the food on his plate. God isn't just saying, yeah, now, now you can have a shrimp cocktail and a few pieces of bacon with your breakfast. That it, it's about that, but it's also about so much more. It, it's about dinner, but it's also uh, about people. That, that what makes someone clean and pure and worthy of being a, a part of God's family has nothing to do about blood or obedience anymore. That what makes someone clean and pure and worthy and welcome in God's family is Jesus. See, what Peter comes to realize is is that the defining characteristics of God's family are not blood and obedience, at least not ours. No, what makes us the family of God is is Christ's blood and his obedience. And, and that as he stretched out his arms on the cross, he welcomed all people in, no, no, matter, no matter who they were. And, and, and that is very good news, that it's no longer just about blood or obedience, but it's about faith in Jesus Christ. It was good news for someone like Cornelius, wasn't it? Because Cornelius, if you remember, he was not a Jew. He did not have the right blood. He hadn't grown up in a household where the, where the commands of the Lord will, were obeyed. He was a Gentile, a, a non-Jewish person, and he wasn't just any old Gentile. He, he was a Roman Gentile. He worked for the enemy. <laughs> he was part of the occupying force, the Romans, who had come into Judea and, and taken them over and forced them to live in semi-slavery and, and fear. And, 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 and actually, he wasn't just a Gentile and a Roman Gentile, but he was also a, a soldier. Uh, he was part of, of, of that occupying force, creating fear and unrest. This guy was presumably as far out of the family as you can be, and, and yet today, God welcomes him in, not by his blood or obedience, but by Christ's blood, his obedience. And that was good news for Cornelius, but brothers and sisters, I think you know it's also good news for you. Because I don't know if any of us here today, I don't want to presume, I don't know if any of us here today have Jewish blood But what I am sure of is that none of us have obeyed, not like we need to. And and yet, despite our disobedience, God has welcomed each and every one of you in. 
Each of you is a, is a child of God. Each of you is one of his beautiful sons and daughters. Each of you is a co-heir with Christ. You have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven, uh, a treasure that is unlike any other. You are a part of God's family. And, and I know there are some days where that is hard to believe. We all have moments of doubts where we wonder, could that be true? Or, or how, how could God let that happen? How could he let me in? But, but, the, but you see, the moments we begin to wonder that are always the moments we look inward, aren't they? When we look at ourselves and our lives and, and how we've been living. But, but God is, is constantly calling us to, to look away from ourselves and to look to him, to, to look to his blood and his obedience. And when we do, when we fix our eyes, not on ourselves, but on his cross, we will know there will be no doubt that we are a part of his family. We are his beautiful son or daughter. Today we learn who is in God's family. Uh, but our, our lesson for today, I believe, also tells us a really important lesson as well, an, another really important lesson, and, and that is not just who's in God's family, but, but also what that family is like. Uh, l- let me explain. If you look at the bottom of page four, the, the last paragraph. Uh, Peter, by this point, he's had the vision, he's spent some time reflecting, he's met Cornelius and, and talked to him, and, and they've had this encounter. And now Peter gets up to speak. He, there's a crowd of people, and he needs to teach them this lesson he's learned. And, and what he says carries some weight, of course, because he was an apostle, he had followed Jesus, and, and, and so he needs to get this message uh, across. And, and this is what he says, the, the opening lines of his sermon. These are beautiful words. He says in that last paragraph on page four, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Now, those words stuck with me this week. Uh, they, they were hard for me to avoid. I, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, or in some translations, partiality. However you want to put it, I think the words stuck with me for this reason. God does not show favoritism or partiality, but I'm afraid that sometimes I do. Uh, Imagine this scenario with me. This will help me explain. Uh, Imagine that there's a coworker of yours, uh, a coworker of yours who is always talking about their family, right? They, They just... They just can't stop talking about their family. And they have pictures of their family, and there's their husband, and, and there's their two kids, little Johnny and Susie. There, there's even their mother-in-law who, who lives with them. And, and they have all these pictures, and they're always talking about their family. Normally, this would get kind of annoying. You'd be like, okay, I've heard this. It's enough. But, but actually, you're more curious than anything else. You're amazed at how close-knit this family seems, and, and you wonder how she makes it happen, and... It's just a, a big curiosity to you. And then one day, this co-worker of yours invites you over for their Sunday night family dinner. And, and you're not really good friends with her. You know, you don't have a lot in common. Maybe there's an age gap. But you're so curious about the family. And, and you so want to meet these, these people that you've seen the pictures of that you accept the invite. You go over. And so, so it's Sunday evening. You knock on the door. And your friend welcomes you in. The two of you sit down at the table. And she begins to serve you food, which is nice. But... You're confused because this is going to be a family dinner and, and you're wondering where her family is. And, and so eventually your curiosity gets the best of you and you have to ask and you say, I, I'm, I'm so sorry, this is great. Thank you for the invite. I'm, I'm glad to be eating with you, but I, I thought you said your family was going to be here. And your coworker looks at you kind of confused and she says, well, what do you mean? They are, they're here. You say, well, where, where, where's your husband? He's not at the table. And she says, yeah, he's, he's in the other room. He's watching the game. I think he ordered a pizza He's fine, and 
think that's kind of strange. So you say, okay, well, what about your kids? Where's little Susie and little Johnny? And she says, well, well Susie's playing outside, and, and she'll scavenge for some food. There's some berries or something out there. And little Johnny, he's in the basement playing video games. He's got a bag of chips. He'll be fine. And, and, and you're so confused. This doesn't seem right. She always talks about how close-knit her family is. And, and so you say, well, what about your mother-in-law? And I know she lives here. And she says, oh, yeah, she's upstairs. We don't really let her out of the bedroom. I slid a plate of food under the door every once in a while. She'll be fine. For, for the night, and, and this, this to you seems so wrong, right? Because as, as much as she talks about the family, this isn't much of a family at all. Just, just because they live under the same roof and have the same blood doesn't mean they're, they're living as family, right? Families are, are meant to talk together and laugh together. Uh, they're meant to cry together and mourn together, celebrate together, work alongside one another, encourage one another, eat meals together, and pray together. That's what makes a family a family, not just living under the same roof or having the same blood. See, I, I wonder, I, I worry sometimes if, if that's kind of how we're living as a Christian family. Uh, I, I wonder sometimes if, if there isn't more room for life together. You see, I, I, I know, I, I'm sure of this. I'll speak for all of us today because I feel so confident about this. All of us here today recognize, confess, believe that our family stretches wide, right? Every one of you knows that there are, are brothers and sisters in the faith, fellow Christians that have tattoos and rap sheets, that, that, that there are, are, are Christian brothers and sisters, parts of our family who are incarcerated, who look different and talk different, who, who are from different countries and have moved here either legally or, or illegally, and, and, and that there are brothers or sisters in our faith who, are, who call themselves Roman Catholic or, or Presbyterian or, or Baptist, that there are members of our family who sit quietly when they worship with their hands folded and others who, who raise their hand and, and sing their hallelujahs. We, we know that that God's family is very diverse. We, we recognize that. We confess it. Uh, but sometimes we're like that family where each member is kind of off in their own room, <laughs> doing their own thing, rather than living life together as the body of Christ. Because that's how we're called to live as, as a family, to, to mourn together and, and cry together, to laugh, rejoice together, to pray together and sing together. Now, now, don't get me wrong, uh, a couple of important things. Uh, first, we will always have our differences and disagreements within the body of Christ, within the family, because families do, right? They don't agree on everything. We all know that. Uh, and that's okay, and, and we need to talk and be honest ab about those differences. And, and the truth is that, that we do uh, work with our family together. We have two other congregations here at Living Christ that, that share our space, and we are happy to partner with them in the ministry, although they be different than us. But, but I... But I say that to, to say that I, I think there's always room for growth, isn't there? Uh, we can always live more fully as, as the body of Christ. And, and I don't have all the answers for that. But here's my one encouragement to us today. Maybe my one challenge. We'll even call it homework. How about that? <laughs> my homework for each of us this week is that, that we would all commit to praying for, for one person within the body of Christ, within our family, maybe one group of people who is extremely different than us. So for you, for you maybe that would mean that you're going to pray for one of our incarcerated brothers or sisters in the faith. Or, or maybe it's going to mean that for some of you, you're going to pray for the immigrant brothers or sisters among us. Maybe you don't know them, but, but you're going to pray for them because you know that they are there. Maybe for some of you, it, it means that you are going to pray for our Roman Catholic or Baptist brothers or sisters in the faith, uh, for those that, that sit quietly or those that raise their hands. 
And, and you might think to yourself, well, pastor, that's just a, a small, insignificant thing. Prayer, it's not going to change the body of Christ, but, but I believe that prayer is one of the most powerful tools that we have. <laughs> and it is a dynamic display of the unity that we share in the body of Christ. That together, we are the family that God stretched out his arms, and by his blood and his obedience, we are one. And that's what makes us a family. And so we live like it. In Jesus' name, amen.